let's pray, and then we're going to get started in the text. God, I come to you this morning, and I thank you for the privilege to, to preach your word today. God, I thank you for sending us a house full of people, dear Lord. We are here because we need to be here. You sent us here, you brought us here today because we need to hear your word. God, we always need to hear your word. But I pray that whatever it is in your word that your Holy Spirit presents today, that it would be something that would transform our heart, God. That we would not just be hearers of the word, that we would be doers of the word. That your Holy Spirit would convict us to the core. That we would heed the warnings that your words have, God, especially in the book of Revelation with the things to come. God, I pray that if there is one that's never accepted Jesus Christ, they've never asked him into their heart, they've never asked to be forgiven. God, that you would let them know that you sent your son today. That your Holy Spirit would guide them to the cross where your son died and where he rose again for them. So God, I pray that you would be with each one of us today. God, our goal is for souls to be saved. God, that's our main goal. God, our secondary goal is for those who are Christians to, to draw closer to you. And so I pray, God, that both of those things will happen today. God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross, that you lay down my pride, God, that I lay that down before you today, that you do the speaking. God, it's not about me, it's about you. So God, I pray that your words will come through and that you will do a mighty work in this church and this place today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. We had gotten into some serious stuff last week in Revelation chapter 7. We had uh, begun to see um, uh, God's wrath was about to be poured out among his, uh, 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 against those people who had rejected him. Uh, we saw a scene in heaven where there were a, a vast multitude that could not be numbered that were coming out of this great tribulation period. I believe that that very well could be the church, that is, uh, the bride of Christ, those, that is, those who are Christians. I believe that that is a very likely place that the church will be raptured out, if we can use that word, uh, of the wrath that is to come. I preached last week that I believe that, that Christians will be delivered from that wrath. There were a couple of verses that I used, so I believe that we as Christians, while we may have to go through some hard times, even some of the tribulation, I believe that ultimately we will be spared from God's wrath. Now what we had seen up to this point were just some hard times. We saw some wars. We saw the effects of those wars, some famines, uh, some different things that happened. We see that. We're familiar with that in our life today all throughout history. Some of you who are older uh, may remember World War II, uh, may remember some of the things that happened along with that. There were hard times in those days. We see that in our economy today. We see war everywhere. We see hard times. So we're familiar with some of the hard times uh, that have taken place all throughout history. As time goes, uh, goes along and we get closer and closer to the end of time, those things will get much more difficult. We as Christians have to experience those things today. We will have to experience them until the time uh, that Jesus calls us home. But there is coming a time that the book of Revelation points to where once these first things uh, get out of the way, these judgments, what I believe they are, judgments of God that God allow, allows to happen to this world, once those judgments are out of the way, we begin to progress on to something a little more extreme. And that is God's wrath. We begin to see God's wrath poured out upon an unrepentant humanity. Now this is some intense stuff. Some people say, I don't like the book of Revelation. It's scary. Yeah, it's scary. When you think about a God who is the creator of heaven and earth, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, 
God knows everything you did. God knows everything I did, everything I will do. And not just us in this room, but everybody who's ever lived, everybody that's living, and everybody that will, will live. God knows everything. And God is a just judge. And one day God will judge each one of us. And this wrath that is coming is God's wrath being poured out in unrepentant people who have rejected him, who have said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't believe that Jesus is your son. I don't want to be covered by his blood. I don't want to repent. I don't want to turn. I don't care. And God's going to say, if you don't want to turn to me, fine. Fair enough. God gives us an opportunity to escape, and that is through Jesus Christ so that we can escape through that grace that he offers through his life that was given for us on the cross. But if we reject that grace, the chapter 8 onward is what the unrepentant rejecter of Jesus' grace will have to face. And it is a tough, tough time that is coming. Revelation chapter 8, let's read it. We had looked at six seals that had been opened up till this point. This is the seventh seal. At the opening of, uh, of, uh, of the sixth seal, we saw that there were uh, the, the, these rumblings and earthquakes and people realized that God's wrath was coming. Then we saw in between the sixth and the seventh seal where God's chosen people were sealed. We saw a vast multitude in heaven, which I believe uh, could very likely represent the church. And then we see the seventh seal opened. And here's where it gets pretty tough. Verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the angel, excuse me, then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the gold altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were rumblings of thunder, flashes of lightnings, and earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and the, and the night as well. I looked again and heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth, because the remaining trumpet blast 
that the three angels are about to sound. Let's pray one more time. God, I pray that you come to me now have my mind to get on what it needs to be on, dear Lord, that I'm not wondering, that I'm not drifting, that the devil's not keeping a sidetrack. God, that I preach what you want us to hear. God, that, that, you, that you speak to us, that we hear what you want us to hear, dear Lord. I pray that you'd be with us now. Bless the reading of your word, God. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Revelation chapter 8, we see the seventh seal is opened. And when we see this seventh seal opened, we see that there is silence in heaven for a half hour. Now, could it be a literal half hour? Could it be figurative for a short amount of time? I don't really know. I believe it's literal. I believe it was a literal half hour. I believe that John would have knew what a half hour was. And so I believe that there was this time. I believe it was a literal half hour. It could have been longer. could have been shorter. But there was this period of time where there was silence in heaven. John saw these angels. They were gathered around. There were seven angels gathered around the throne. And there was one that was gathered around the altar and he had the incense burner. We talked about how incense was a pleasing fragrance to God. We see how that was a very important part of worship in the Old Testament. For the priests, they would go in and they would burn incense for the people to cover their sins and the people's sins. And why God chose incense, I don't have a clue. But that was something that God said, this is what I want to take place and this is how it has to be. And so incense was something that was, that was used in Old Testament times. It was pleasing to God. We see some misuse of incense. Aaron's sons get killed because they didn't do what they were supposed to do properly. So the fact that incense is used here has some significance. That was an important thing in the worship of God. There was an angel who was there who was burning the incense, and it said that the incense went up before the Lord along with the prayers of the saints. We saw that comparison that the incense was, was compared to the prayers of the saints just a few verses back in the fifth seal as it was broken. We saw that there were martyrs, that is those who were killed because of their testimony of Jesus Christ. And they were praying that God would deliver vengeance. They wanted these people who had done wrong, who had done them wrong. They wanted God, who is a just God, to bring justice. They wanted God to avenge them. So we see that prayer not only of the martyrs, but I think we've probably seen that prayer all throughout history. There have been Christians who have prayed that prayer. It could be that these prayers that are going up are not only those of the martyrs, but also those of the great vast multitude who has come to heaven out of the tribulation that we saw in the chapter before. But whoever it is, these are all the prayers of, I believe, probably all uh, Christians and all believers over time. Maybe it's just those in heaven. Maybe it's the martyrs. Maybe it's everybody. I don't know. We don't know. But these are prayers of the saints, whichever saints they are, that are going before the Lord. And the fifth seal, as it was broken, these prayers were for God to avenge them. And here we see that is about to take place. And in silence, as these incense is going up and the prayers went up, and then there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Have you ever heard of the calm before the storm? We, most of us are probably familiar with that terminology. That is what's going on here. There is a great storm of God's wrath that is about to be poured out on humanity. And what an awesome and unbelievable time that must be for this crowd that is in heaven. This group that is in heaven, these angels, these believers who are gathered around the throne, knowing what is about to take place. The awesome and wonderful power of God is about to be poured out on all of humanity, and everyone pauses in silence for 30 minutes. I bet that felt like an eternity, 30 minutes. I mean, we pause for just a second. 
You pause for like eight seconds. It seems like an eternity. I was thinking about, you know, like kind of a comparison to what it must be like drawn out. You know, like Wednesday nights when we pray, like I say everybody prays you feel led, and then when you get done, I'll close. I remember when I was a kid, and I was sitting there, and I was, I'd wait for Brother Ernie to close. Everybody would pray, and then it seemed like ten minutes between that last prayer and before the time that he finally prayed, and it was probably like seven seconds, you know. It seems like an eternity. And here we have a very short period of time, 30 minutes. What's 30 minutes? But could you imagine what that must feel like for these Christians who are in heaven, whose justice is about to be served. God is about to destroy those who have, who have, who have killed so many of them, who have killed so many of God's children, those who have completely rejected God, those who have mocked God, those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And here we are about to see God's wrath be poured out. And for 30 minutes, there is silence. There is complete calm before the storm. And these prayers go up before the Lord, and the incense is burnt before the Lord, and the angel takes the incense burner, and he fills it with the fire from the altar, and he hurls it down to the earth. And it's the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of the end. We, we have just gone through a series of Revelation where we see seven seals that are broken. The seventh seal has finally been broken here. And now we see what is about to take place. Now we see what God's will and God's plan is and what's going to take place ultimately in the end. This is not a fictional book. Maybe some of you are here today and you don't believe, well, this is just so-so and this is just... No, this is going to happen. This is not a fictional book. This is God telling us. It's not just some guy thinking, all right, I think this is what's going to happen. It's not just that John's some random guy. He is getting this vision from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus knows what's going to happen. God is telling us in his word what is going to take place. Those of us who have an ear, let us hear. We see that. Jesus tells the churches that early on in the book of Revelation. And the seven seals have been opened. And now we see that there are going to be uh, these seven trumpets that are going to be sounded. Each one is going to bring a little more of God's wrath on humanity. Getting progressively worse and worse as they go along. The first trumpet. Verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. So when this first uh, trumpet blast uh, sounds, we have uh, some intense imagery of what's going to go on here. It says that hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So much so that a third of things were destroyed. That's pretty unbelievable. That's pretty unbelievable. We saw that earlier on in the seals where a fourth of the earth was destroyed by one of the horsemen that came. And now uh, God's uh, judgment and wrath is getting a little progressively worse. It was a fourth, now it's a third of the land that is going to be destroyed here. Of the trees, of the grass, of the earth is going to be burned up. We see that this hail is, is, is thrown down from heaven and this hail is mixed with blood and fire and it is cast down from heaven. Now some would say that one view is that this is not a literal thing, but this is symbolic of something else, that John was describing maybe some kind of <laughs> nuclear war and that was what was fallen. But I believe this is literal. And the reason I believe this is literal is because these things are not foreign to us in God's Word. If you read God's Word in the Old Testament, when His wrath and judgment was poured out on people, you see that these things occurred. These things are not uncommon that we see a hell cast down from heaven. Uh, if you want to turn with me, you can, uh, to Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. 
Job chapter 38, just a little, just a little preview of maybe what God's talking about here. Job chapter 38, verses 22 and 23. Job 38, 22 and 23. This is God speaking here. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored, or have you seen the storehouses of hell which I have which I hold in reserve for times of trouble, for the day of warfare and for battle. Even God talks about uh, storehouses of hell that are stored up in heaven. So the fact that it may be literal, actual, real hell that rains down from heaven, that seems like that could happen to me. I don't have a problem believing that because we see that in God's Word. We see that happen in the Old Testament times. If you turn back to the book of Exodus, we won't cover it in great detail, but Exodus chapter 7, 8, and 9, we see uh, in Egypt. The people of Egypt had God's people, the Israelites. Uh, the Pharaoh had them captive. They were their slaves. And a guy named Moses went in. Maybe you've heard of him. If not, go back and read Exodus. He's a cool guy. God called him. He went in there to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Well, the old Pharaoh, he wouldn't let them go. And so God began to send these plagues upon the people of Egypt. A lot of the same plagues that we see poured out upon the people of Egypt are the same things that we see in the book of Revelation as these trumpets blast. So these are not uncommon things. If we believe that they are literal in the Old Testament, which I do, then we should believe that they can also be literal in the end times, which I do. I believe that these things will actually happen. I believe that we will see uh, these the hell and fire will be things that will come out of the sky and destroy a third of the earth when the end times come. Can you imagine for a second what an awe-inspiring sight that must be? Can you imagine for a second, if you will, for those who are on this earth, for those who have not repented of their sins and accepted Jesus Christ, for those who are experiencing God's wrath, to see something that you could probably never even imagine in a million years what it would look like, to see fire coming from the sky, to see hell coming from the sky, to see blood coming from the sky. What an unbelievable and scary day that must be. It goes on to say, So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. Now, as we talked about several times through the book of Revelation, there are many different views. Some people believe this to be literal. Some believe this to be symbolic. Perhaps this is symbolic. Some would say that the trees represent uh, the leaders in the world. Those who are in power, those are destroyed. And a third of just the, the normal everyday people are going to be destroyed. That's one interpretation. Maybe you hold that interpretation. Could be true. But I believe this first trumpet, at least, uh, to be a literal thing that is going to happen. Verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood. Now here we have uh, 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 the second trumpet that is sounding, and we have more disaster that is being poured out onto the earth. We see something that is like a mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. Now I think there may be a little something to the fact that, that John uses the word was like. Uh, John uses the word like a lot in the book of Revelation. 
I believe John uses the word a lot in Revelation because he cannot really, he doesn't really have anything that he can pair it to. So he compares things to what something was like. He said what he is seeing now that's being hurled uh, to the earth is like a mountain with fire ablaze. Could be a volcano. It could be something that's already on the earth. I don't know that John would have ever seen a volcano in his day. Perhaps this is this blazing mountain that's erupting into the sea. Perhaps that's what it is. It could be. Perhaps it is actually a real, literal, flaming mountain that God is casting down to the earth, into the sea. It could very well be that. God is all-powerful. He can do anything He wants to do. It is not beyond God to send a mountain into the sea. Could you imagine the day? Imagine something like Mount Everest, like a huge, massive mountain that is ablaze, that is crashing through the atmosphere into the sea. Can you imagine what a fearful and terrifying day that is going to be? It's going to be a bad day. It's going to be extremely fearful. There will be nowhere for people to run. There will be nowhere for people to hide. There will be nothing. This is God's wrath being poured out on an unrepentant people. What a scary day that is going to be. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. This is getting intense. Let's read on a little further. The third trumpet, verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, so many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. Now again, there's many different views as to what this means. Some would say that this is not a real literal star like we see in the sky now, but some would say this is some kind of massive nuclear bomb that is being dropped out of the sky that causes the waters to be poisoned and kills a lot of people that are around. Could be. That's very possible that that could be the case. It could be literal that God is sending a literal star that is going to crash and is going to make the waters bitter. And whatever view, there are more views, whatever view you choose, the end result is this. It's going to be bad. Whether it's a nuclear bomb or a massive star that comes from the sky, whatever way that God fulfills this trumpet blast that's going to take place, it is going to be a bad time. And it's not just one of these things. These things keep coming just one after the other, after the other, after the other. There is hell and fire. There's a flaming mountain. There's a star that makes the water undrinkable. God has given us a warning here. God didn't just give us these words, I don't believe, just for good reading, just so we can be entertained. I believe that God is telling us what's going to take place as a warning. He's given us a chance to know, look, this is what is coming if you don't turn from your evil ways. If you don't repent, this is what is going to take place. Let us listen, church. Let us listen with our ears and with our heart to what God's Word is saying. It's going to be bad times. The fourth trumpet. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and the night as well. I looked again and heard an angel flying overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of their remaining trumpet blast that the three angels are about to sound. 
You think it's bad up until this point. Here we have darkness that is beginning to come over the earth. We have a, a large portion of the earth that would have been destroyed by this point. Darkness has come over to the earth, and this angel comes and says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You ain't seen nothing yet. That's a paraphrase. It is going to be some bad times. I believe that God's Word is giving us a warning. God's Word is letting us know that we need to look out. If you've ever driven down the, the, the highway before and you've seen where there's road work being done, you notice that there's a progression before you get to the road work. First you see maybe some cones that are set out on the road. Then you begin to see uh, big signs. You begin to see the signs are closer together. Then you see big signs with flashing arrows. They're telling you that there is something coming. You don't need to go this way. This is the wrong way. You've got to go on this way. This is where the road is safe. And what do we do? We see the cones. We start following. We get in the right lane. We see the signs. We start slowing down. We see the blinking signs. We make sure we're in the right lane. I believe that that is what God is doing in the book of Revelation. <coughs> Excuse me. I believe that God is giving us warning signs. I believe it starts out, He starts saying these things are going to happen. And they begin to get a little worse. We begin to see the cones that say you need to start getting over. We begin to see the signs. The signs get closer and closer. As we begin to see the seals broken, things get worse and worse. Until finally, I believe God is telling us in His Word, there's a flashing sign. It is about to get really bad. If you continue down this path, you're going to have a wreck. You're going to be destroyed. It's all going to be over. There are some of you in this room that are traveling down the wrong path. There are some of you that God has shown the warning signs and you just run it over cones. And you don't have sense enough to say, I need to get over. Something's wrong. And you're crashing through signs and crashing through signs and you're wondering what's going on, why your life's going downhill, why nothing's changing. It's because you're not seeking the Lord and listening to what He says. God's telling you to get over. God's telling us that in His Word is what I believe the book of Revelation is. It's God giving us fair warning as to what's taking place. Turn your life around. Repent. We see some hard-headed people in the book of Revelation. And, and next week when we get to Revelation chapter 9, Lord willing, we're going to look at some of these people. God pours this stuff down on them and the Bible says that the people who are on the earth refuse to repent. They continue to curse God. They refuse to repent. Even in the midst of God's wrath, they refuse to repent. Look, I don't want you to be those people who refuse to repent. I don't want you to experience God's wrath. I want you to experience God's grace. We talk a lot about uh, God being a just judge. Let's think about that for a second. I, a few years ago, I went up to town. What, what, what do they call that court at the sheriff's department where you can go? and what, What's that court called? Anybody ever go to that and know what it's called? Anyway, I don't know. Justice Court, there you go. You can go in there and people are going in. And I was, I, I was there one day and I was, I was watching these things and I was watching these people go up there before the judge. And I was thinking at that time, I was thinking, that's got to be so scary to stand there before that judge. And I was thinking, I hope I never do anything where I have to be in here standing before this judge. And then the Holy Spirit told me, we're all going to stand before the judge one day. And I said, whoa, that's a scary thought. Every one of us is going to have to stand before the judge one day. And look, here's what I saw. When I, what I saw is I saw that judge give some people a warning. Y'all ever seen a judge do that? Maybe you know somebody. And somebody does something and they go in there and, God, and the judge says, I'm going to let you off this time. I'm going to give you a warning. But if you keep this up, 
you're going to have to pay the penalty. Sometimes judges do that multiple times. But eventually, if the person continues to refuse to do what is right, continues to refuse to, uh, to, to obey the law, the judge has to sentence them to the punishment that they deserve. And we're happy about that, right? We, we, we want to see the judge sentence these people. These people are a nuisance to society in some case. They're, they're putting people's lives in danger. And it's great that the, that the judge has given them multiple opportunities and multiple warnings to turn from their ways. But eventually, if the judge is any good, he has to sentence these people. If we had a judge sitting in Amit County and everybody that did wrong, the judge had let them go and let them go and crime began to pick up, how long would that person be a judge? Not very long. Would we say, boy, he's a good judge. He's letting everybody get off free. Nope, we would not say that. And God is no different. God is no different. Some people say, well, if God is so good, if God is so loving, why in the world would He sentence anybody to hell? Why would He send anybody to hell? Because He is a just God. He is a just judge. He cannot wink at sin and say, you just keep on doing whatever you want to do. If we saw a judge in real life do that, we would say he was a horrible judge. And we should think no different of God. God is not a horrible judge. He gives warning after warning after warning after warning after warning to stop, to turn around, to repent, and to turn to Jesus Christ. And there is coming a day where each one of us will have to stand before God. And praise the Lord for those of us who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God have pity on those who have not. Because they will stand before God and God will say, I gave you warning. I gave you opportunity. I gave you chance to repent. But it will be too late. I believe that God's word has given us warning. We see all throughout uh, the Scripture where God uh, brings His wrath on humanity. He spares those who are righteous. Those who are righteous are spared. Sodom and Gomorrah, evil place. God brought His wrath down on them, and guess what? He spared Lot and his family. Why? Because they were righteous. Genesis chapter 6, we see the flood come on the earth. All humanity is being destroyed. Everything's being flooded. But guess what? Not everybody was destroyed. There was righteous Noah and his family. We see a pattern through God's word. Uh, we see Rahab when the Israelites go into the city and they say, look, we're coming to destroy everything. And, and Rahab says, look, I believe that your God is who he said he is. I believe y'all coming to destroy us. Please spare us. And they said, all right, we'll spare you. We begin to see a common theme through God's word, and it is this. That is that God spares the righteous and destroys the wicked. God spares the righteous and destroys the wicked. How are we made righteous? Some of you are saying, well, look, I'm kind of scared. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm missing something in my life. You are made righteous by Jesus Christ. There is no other way you're made righteous. Not because you come to this church this morning. Coming to church don't make you righteous. I wish it did. It'd be great. Everybody in the world could be saved. We could come in the door, walk back out, everything's good. That's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. We are made righteous by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and asking Him to forgive us of our sins and come into our life. And those who are righteous are spared from wrath. If you got that finger in uh, first, uh, sec, excuse me, Second Peter, go ahead and flip over there now. Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter two, verse four.
should be just a couple of pages back to your left from where you are in Revelation. Not too hard to get to. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down into Tartarus and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness until judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought a flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to ruin, making them an example to those who were going to be ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by, his unrestra by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral, for as he lived among them, that righteous man tormented himself day by day with the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Well, that's a reassuring verse right there. That's a reassuring verse that one, God is going gonna, is gonna to destroy those who have done wrong against Him. God is going to serve justice to those to whom justice needs to be served. But it's also reassuring in the fact that God is going to deliver those who are righteous. God knows the difference between good and bad and righteousness and unrighteousness. God knows the difference between those who are His and those who are wicked. And there is coming a day when God is going to separate those out and those who are His will be taken to heaven and it will be a wonderful and glorious day. And those who are not will experience everything that we have read in the book of Revelation. I'm going to experience everything that we see in Revelation chapter 8. If you still got your finger in 2 Peter, you can keep it there. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Some people say, why in the world does God let stuff continue to go on in this world? Why is God letting things happen? Because God doesn't desire for any to perish, but to all to come to repentance. God is not delaying because He's just busy. It's not like He's saying, oh, I'm fishing, oh, I'm going to bring the end times whenever I get through. I'm busy. No, God is delaying because He is patient. He is patient because He didn't want anyone to be, uh, to, to be sent to hell. God doesn't desire for us to be destroyed. God desires for us to be delivered. God doesn't desire for us to be destroyed in these things that are coming in the coming wrath. God desires for you to be delivered from that. God is patient. Some of you are saying, man, I've done some bad stuff. You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but God does. And you're still here, and I believe that's because God's giving you a little more time. And we got God's Word, and we see what's going to happen, and that should motivate us as Christians. Some people say, well, if we as Christians are raptured long before, which we may not be, we may still be here after. There's some good arguments as to why we may still be here after. We may still be here even in all this, but even so, I think as Christians, we'll be protected because we see that in, in, uh, in the story of, of Egypt and Pharaoh. Even when God brought that wrath upon the Egyptians, it said that His people were spared, and none of those things happened in that area. 
That's a whole other topic. We won't get off on that. But even if we are long gone before all this stuff happens, some Christians say, well, what does it matter? I'm going to be gone. What do I care? Because you have fans and family and people around who do not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And while you may be in Christ and you may be spared of this wrath in whatever way you are, you're going to be spared from it. But there may be those who are your friends and family who will not. Who will have to be here as giant hailstorms come from the come from the sky, as fire comes from the sky, as mountains are hurled down, as the earth is burned up. There are people that we love that do not know Jesus Christ who may be here for that. That should motivate us, Christian. That should motivate us, church, to get the word out. The warning is for those who are lost, but also I believe an encouragement and a motivation for those of us who are saved so we can take it, the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. And that they would know that God has been patient with them. That they would know that there is forgiveness there. And that they would seek Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your warning signs, God. What a, what a fearful day that is going to be when your wrath is poured out. But God, I pray that there is none in this room that has to experience that. God, that each one of us would accept Jesus Christ. That we would not be so foolish to totally miss the warning signs that you put out for us. To totally miss your word that you have given us, God, so that we can change our direction. God, if there are some in this room that need to repent of their sin and turn to you, that they would do so today. God, I pray that you would light a fire under us to motivate us to get out and be about your work, dear Lord. To reach those people that we love. To reach those people we know and the ones that we don't know, God. The ones that don't know you. So, that, God, they all need to hear. Whether we know them or not. So help us to, to preach your word and teach your word. And, God, to teach your grace. We've talked about some heavy stuff today, God, this morning. We've talked about your wrath and how scary and tough that's going to be. But, God, your grace is greater than your wrath. So, God, I pray that if there's any in this room that haven't accepted that grace through Jesus Christ, that they would today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.